I'm Gretchen Rubin, and this is A Little Happier. Lately, I've been thinking about two things. First, I've been thinking about Game of Thrones, because that hit HBO TV series recently aired its final episode. And I've also been thinking about Winston Churchill, because I've finally gone back to record the audiobook of my short, unconventional biography, 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill. What a joy it was to revisit that project. I loved writing that book so much. I love thinking about Winston Churchill. And both these preoccupations, Game of Thrones and Winston Churchill, collided in my mind as I was reading the book into the microphone. There's a scene I love in Game of Thrones, and there are spoilers to come, so beware. Um, it is the absolutely extraordinary scene where Lady Olena Tyrell, one of my very favorite characters, is waiting in a tower for Commander Jamie Lannister. Elena's forces have just been defeated in battle, and she knows that Jamie will execute her during this encounter, which he does. Lady Olena is the head of House Tyrell, and she's a person of great power, a cool, sharp-witted, far-sighted woman. And she uses this opportunity to have an exceptionally candid conversation before her death with Jamie about Cersei. Cersei Lannister, his cruel, power-mad sister and lover, who is now Queen of Westeros. I'll post a link to the entire seven-minute scene, but here's the part of the conversation that got me thinking during my Churchill recording. It's what Elena says to Jamie right before he hands her the poisoned goblet of wine. I did unspeakable things to protect my family or watch them being done on my orders. I never lost a night's sleep over them. They were necessary. And whatever I imagined necessary for the safety of House Tyrell, I did. But your sister has done things I was incapable of imagining. That was my prize mistake, a failure of imagination. Now, that's the Game of Thrones side. On the Churchill side, as I was recording the book, 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill, I read this passage where I wrote, in 1940, instead of continuing to push Lord Halifax to succeed him in the role of prime minister, Neville Chamberlain turned to Churchill. Why? Chamberlain prided himself that he was realistic, businesslike, with a passionate dedication to peace. He had all these qualities and these identical defects. With his narrow, prosaic mind and in his vanity, Chamberlain simply couldn't comprehend Hitler. Even as of September 30th, 1940, he complained in a letter to the king that his failed attempts to avoid war, quote, might well have succeeded if they had not come up against the insatiate and inhuman ambitions of a fanatic, close quote. Wasn't that the point of all who criticized Chamberlain's policy, that he'd persisted in his appeasement policy with utter disregard for Hitler's obvious nature? Perhaps at long last, Chamberlain grasped that his virtues, which were also Halifax's, were out of season, and that it was Churchill who possessed the necessary qualities of imagination and stomach for war. I was struck by how the two examples illustrated the same point. Every strength has its weakness, 
Every capacity has its limitations. Sometimes those who love order and have a traditional understanding of the proper limits of behavior can't see the terrible possibilities available to those who are willing to go far beyond all lawful boundaries. Imagination matters. I'm Gretchen Rubin, and I hope this makes your week a little happier.